Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom, leaving his chamber, and like a strong man, runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the ends of the heavens, and its circuits to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, in keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Well, let me pray for us as we begin. Heavenly Father, thank you for these beautiful words of Scripture. Thank you for what we have witnessed tonight. Father God, we pray very much tonight as we come to this psalm, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts this evening would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, this psalm is a glorious psalm, isn't it? It's a really glorious psalm. All all psalms are in their own way, but, but Psalm 19 is one of those psalms that makes us want to burst into song. And it does for me anyway, and, and that's a wonderful thing. And as we've been looking at the Psalms together in the evenings over the past few weeks, that's been very much our focus, hasn't it? Singing the Psalms with Jesus. The Psalms are the songs of the heart, songs that resonate with every human experience that the Christian goes through of joy and of suffering. And we can sing these psalms with Jesus because in these psalms we see prefigured in them the sufferings of Jesus. He identifies with them in that. The the perfection of Jesus. The vindication that Jesus gives to the believer. We also see the hope and promise of Jesus that the psalmists in their pain and their persecutions and in their joys and their victories hold on to and, and fully believing, even if they don't know what that quite fully looks like yet. In that manner, we we sing these psalms with Jesus. In Jesus, in other words, all these psalms make sense. And that really helps us as we come to Psalm 19 together tonight. For what we read of here is the truth that God is a God who speaks and who reveals himself so that we might know him ultimately 
in Jesus Christ. And so in that light, the first thing we come to in this psalm is the God who speaks through his creation. And creation is remarkable, isn't it? The world around us is truly breathtaking. Whoever we are, whether we're Christians here or not this evening, I think we can all agree that there is something truly magnificent about creation. There's a reason why uh, BBC's Blue Planet 2 was one of the most watched documentaries in the UK for many years. The images we see are astonishing, and we're amazed by them. And at many points in our lives, we experience ourselves, the majesty of creation. Jen, Toby, and I were away on holiday this week in the south of France, which was lovely. But one of the most arresting images, and an image I actually captured on my phone, was the image of, of Toby and Jen um, in the distance. I'm, I'm quite away from them. They're on the edge of the Mediterranean Ocean. They're, they're, they're little dots in the photograph. And beyond them is this vast, deep blue expanse of the Mediterranean Ocean, sort of stretching for thousands of miles into the distance. But above this expanse of blue, and what dominates the photo, the reason I took it, was the even greater expanse of an enormous thunderstorm that filled the sky. Almighty black, billowing clouds that, that stretched across the heavens, enveloping tiny Jen and Toby. And after the photo was taken, there was a striking flash of brilliant light as Fort Lightning smashed into the distant sea, followed two minutes later by the powerful rumble of thunder that you could feel in your chest. It was an awesome experience. And being in a thunderstorm is an arresting, overwhelming, awesome experience. It reminds you of how small you are and how massive creation is. And being in the south of France, thankfully, the other arresting feature is the sun. Now, for those of you who haven't ventured far from Scotland, let me explain to you what the sun is. I don't mean to brag, but I've seen it, and I've discovered on my travels that the sun is a bright orb that fills the sky, and it's, and it's warm, and it's inviting, and it brightens everything up. It really is glorious. The sun is an incredible thing. It gives life. It gives us light. It maintains the strictures under which the world is governed by its physics. It is also massive. Did you know, for example, that the sun loses four million tons of its mass in combustion every second? But such is its enormity that it has enough fuel to last for another 5,000 million years before it needs to build a renewable wind farm to keep itself going. The sun is an astonishing thing. And here in Psalm 19, what is it God does with this obscenely massive celestial body? Verse 4, he puts a tent around it. You see, as we enter into this psalm, what is it we, we all see first in this creation opening? What is it creation is doing? What is the sun doing? Well, the psalmist says it isn't just being there, looking powerful and massive. It is saying something. And the thing that this massive sun and the almighty thunderstorm and the whole of the heavens and the rest of creation is speaking of is the creator who made it. 
You see, the sun shows the psalmist that there is something more massive than itself. And that something is the creator God of the universe. The thunderstorm shouts out God's immense power. The sun radiates God's incredible handiwork. The heavens declare the glory of God. And that's where the psalmist starts. As he draws us into looking at the God who speaks. Look at creation, he says. Look at the heavens. Take in the weather. Glance at the almighty sun, because they're all saying something. And they are all saying, what an amazing God. Better than that, however, continues the psalmist, this is what creation is always saying. The world isn't just speaking every now and again about its creator. Look at the language in the psalm. The world is constantly bubbling with information about God. It is, it is overflowing, pouring out, bursting forth with the news of the majesty about God. It can't not speak of him. Look at verse 2. The sun, the thunderstorms, the heavens, their presence speak of God every day. They're always there. Every night the moon reflects God's beauty. Every night. There's never a time when they're not voicing God's glory. They don't take a day off. They're always at it, pointing to God. And not only is this voicing of creation a constant thing, it is an all-encompassing thing, verse 4. Their voice goes out through all the earth. Their words to the end of the world. There is no one on this planet who does not experience the incredible awe of being in this creation. Hearing this symphony of proclamation to the Creator's incredible glory. And so says the psalmist, what a wonderful job the Son has. Verses 5 and 6. The son leaves his chamber in the morning like a bridegroom, not joylessly, in other words, but excited and expectant of what that day will hold. It's like a strong man in the Olympic Games, burning for that finish line, fulfilling everything he has ever been made for and trained for and gunning for. And in this joyous, victorious, searing race around the globe, verse 6, from one end of the heavens to the other, waiting to do its job again the next day, continuously, without fail, without ceasing, without tiring, with the same joy, the same sense of victory, as he undertakes this colossal task, everyone and everything is affected by it. Nothing is hidden from its presence, from its heat, from its power. Nothing is hidden from its almighty voice of proclamation to the incredible glory of a God that is more joyous and more victorious and more powerful and more constant than it is. What an incredible job the Son has says the psalmist. What kind of God must this almighty, powerful, celestial body be revealing? And that's the question in this psalm. What kind of God does creation and the heavens and that thunderstorm and the sun actually reveal? Well, here the psalmist says we have an intriguing problem with creation in this regard. For the voice of creation is actually not enough to reveal the God behind it. Not properly. 
Note verse 3, which is an odd verse in some respects, and in many ways it's contradictory to the rest of the passage, isn't it? We've just been reveling in the voice of creation, and indeed, verse 4, in the words of creation, but then verse 3 says, but there is no speech. That there are no words, literally in the Hebrew, there is no voice heard. Well, what do we make of that? Well, remember, this is, this is poetry, and, and the psalmist is painting a picture, giving the sun and heavens a voice that speak of God. But, says the psalmist, almost as an aside, well, the sun doesn't actually use words to do that. You can't physically hear the sun speaking something. It doesn't have a language that we can understand in that sense. And that's a really important thing for the psalmist to mention, for David to mention. You see, the sun has so much to say about God... But in reality, he can only silently, powerfully and majestically, but but nonetheless silently, point to someone beyond itself. And the truth is, said David, I need to know more. At best, all I see is a big God behind creation. Possibly I might be able to discern a good God behind creation. But that's not enough. And this is where the second way God speaks is so important. Because there are physical words in this psalm. In other words, there is an actual audible soundtrack that follows what creation is saying. And you find this soundtrack, this explanation, in God's spoken word, as recorded in his perfect law, the scriptures. So secondly, and thankfully, says David, the creator God is the God who speaks through his word. Read verses 7 to 11 again with me. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. For for David, King David, writing this psalm, who is looking for God, now we're beginning to get somewhere. For what are God's spoken words? What are they like? How do they look? And what do they achieve? Well, helpfully, David explains all of this, and he, he does so by using every word he can think of to help illuminate which words of God he is talking about. God speaks through his law, verse 7. Also through his testimony concerning himself, verse 8. Also he speaks through his precepts, the explanations of why he expects us to live the way we should. He speaks through his commandments. You see, these aren't just poetic expressions of the same words of authority as much as they are. David is not just talking about rules. He's also using these nouns to help explain that all of God's words in the Scriptures. At this point of writing, this is the Pentateuch. At our point of reading, it's the whole of the Bible. All of God's inspired words point to the Creator God, revealing what He is like and what He has done. And as a psalmist begins to wrestle with God's spoken, written, comprehensive word, the the soundtrack of which supports the unspoken voice of creation, what does he find? Well, he doesn't just find a big God. He finds the Lord God. 
the L-O-R-D capitalized God. The tetragrammaton in the Hebrew, the four-letter moniker for God's holy name, Yahweh. And Yahweh designates the covenant-keeping God, the God who actively pursues a relationship with mankind. And can you see that this is now new information for us? We'd not have got that from just his creation. We may have seen a big God, but a distant one. Not so when we read his words. The word for God in the first part of this psalm, verses 1 to 6, is El or Elohim. That's the Hebrew word for the God who is powerful and who creates. That's literally what creation shows up. But through his spoken word, David changes to Yahweh, the personal God who wants to know his creation. That's what we learn about this creator from his words. And what does the relationship with this Yahweh look like? What kind of relationship is he pursuing? Well, he is pursuing a relationship with incredible consequences for the human because the words that God speaks are words that have a dramatic effect on a human life. Have you noticed? These words, this law, his precepts, the scriptures that talk about Yahweh, achieve incredible things. They revive the soul. These words that talk about this Yahweh make wise the simple. They help people make good decisions. They make the heart rejoice. They enlighten the eyes. And they achieve all these things because God's words are the epitome of creation. They are perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, true, righteous. And so it makes sense, doesn't it? And if almighty, powerful creation shows up an almighty, powerful God, so his perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, true, righteous words shows up that kind of God who is fundamentally pure and perfect and sure and right and clean and true and righteous. And more incredibly than his characteristics is the fact that this kind of God wants to know and have a covenant relationship with our kind of humanity, with his own fallen creation. And hand on heart for all of us sitting here tonight, is this kind of life not the life we all crave? A life where our souls are revived, where we feel refreshed and renewed daily, a life that make, makes our hearts rejoice, a life of wisdom, a life of good decision-making, a life of true enlightenment, a life in this manner that can endure forever, a life that is truly righteous, where the only thing we fear is not the consequences of our actions, but rather this loving God. What we wouldn't give. It's everything that Morningside is longing for. It's everything that we as Christians are living for. It's everything that David is searching for. This kind of revived, refreshed, free, constantly renewed, joyful, wise, enlightened, eternal life. That's what these words do for humanity. That's what these words do for the believer. 
Can you see that the, the God that is truly shown through his words is even more amazing than the imprint of him that we get through his creation? These words are so much more comprehensive, aren't they? They reveal so much more about who God is than creation does. And that is why, when we get to verse 10, we suddenly see, and this now makes perfect sense, that this Yahweh God overshadows his own incredibly impressive creation to such an extent that we turn away from the very best that creation has to offer. And we yearn after him through yearning for the very words that truly speak of him. Verse 10. More to be desired are these words than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is great reward. You see, as impressive as his creation is, it's this revelation of God that David is really bothered by. Not, not gold, not honey, not, not creation anymore, but this better revelation of God, this specific revelation of God. It is these words that David is now hooked on. He's addicted to them, in love with. That is why the Bible, God's words, are central to us at Chalmers and should always be so. That is why the major, major thing the church plant launch team will be spending the bulk of our time training and thinking through is how to handle the Bible, because it is the most precious thing in creation. It is the Bible that will transform lives in these ways that the psalmist dictates for us. It is the Bible that will show the unbeliever the truth and that will build up the Christian. Not strategy, fundamentally, or a good building, or well-organized rotors, as helpful and as godly and as right as all those things are. But it is the Bible that will make all the difference. The words of God. The words of God that reveal who he is. The words of God that transforms lives. And notice the word of God that warns the believer. This psalm is written primarily to the believer, by a believer. Once we realize what kind of God we're dealing with, we suddenly realize that he's a big deal. And if his massive, awesome creation didn't show that, then his words most certainly do. This is why he is a God who can give rules and laws and precepts and statutes, because he is a God of incredible authority. And when he speaks, we really need to listen. These words, not just any words. They are the words of this creator God, words that formed this son in Psalm 19 all the way back in the pages of Genesis 1, out of nothing. And so it makes sense that in order to get that transformed, renewed life that these words offer, we obey. This is Psalm 1 all over again in vivid form. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. L-O-R-D. And on it he meditates day and night. And so because he delights in the law of Yahweh, he is like a tree planted by streams of water. He does not wither. Everything he does prospers. This man now experiences the life these words in Psalm 19 offers, wisdom, enlightenment, joy, freedom, righteousness. Creation turns our heads 
and makes us ask with awe the questions, why, how, who? And God's spoken word gives us the answers. And so it further makes sense, doesn't it? That as soon as I find that answer as to who is behind creation, I no longer look to creation, I look to God instead. Gold pales into insignificance, natural honey, that the best of natural creation, the richest, purest things on the planet, all pale into insignificance because I have found Yahweh. That's what creation is doing, pointing away from itself, pointing away from its visual performance of power and glory to the Yahweh God who transforms human lives by his word, the God who is found fully in his own words. See, the sad thing about Blue Planet is that the awe and wonder of creation is all celebrated for creation's sake. It is creation who gets the praise. Isn't creation wonderful, the BBC tells us? Praise creation. Well, it is wonderful, but that's not what creation is wonderful for. Creation is saying, look at us. Isn't God wonderful? Praise God. Go look for him in his own words. Creation points to a God, and so we go searching for him, and we find him in his own words. You see, the problem if we only look at the sun is that we become sun worshippers. But if we look at what the sun is pointing towards, wrapped up in God's own words, that's when we can become God worshippers. God's law is the words that make sense of what the heavens are telling us. God's law, his scriptures are the words that fully reveal what kind of creator God we are dealing with. God's law, his scriptures are the words that have a real, profound, radical, desperately attractive impact on a believer's life. And in that light, in the light of this specific, special revelation about God, about this kind of God, what should our response be? Read with me verses 12 to 14. Who can discern his errors, declare me innocent from hidden faults? Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. What have these words done to the psalmist? What is David's response? Well, it has brought David to his knees. It is meditating on the word of God in this psalm that the writer has become deeply, deeply conscious of his sin and therefore deeply, deeply conscious need for there to be a redeemer. You see, what does Yahweh, the the covenant-keeping God, really look like? How is God going to really deliver this kind of life that his word offers to this kind of person, King David, who is sinful? By giving humanity the final word of God. The fullest representation of his own being. The clearest understanding of who the creator is, Jesus Christ. You see, the images of creation and the spoken words of God himself are all wrapped up in that one person, Jesus, the saviour king, the redeemer himself. 
How can David be innocent from hidden faults? How can it be that he should be called blameless? How can it be that he can be kept from presumptuous sins? It is because of the promise he is holding on to that there will be a redeemer. And glorious we, gloriously we see what this psalm has always been pointing towards and what David didn't quite see. That David's redemption was all possible because of Jesus Christ. God himself in human form come to deliver him from death and to bring him to life. And that is what we've witnessed this very evening in the baptism of Adam and Grace, a, a visual act that symbolizes the fact that these two people have gone searching for the God of creation and they have found Yahweh in the pages of his law, the Bible, and found that he has been perfectly represented in his son, Jesus Christ, to whom tonight they admit all their sin, confess their hidden faults, and tonight have obeyed him by dying to self and living to Jesus. You see, Adam and Grace are no longer sun worshippers. They are God worshippers. Able to be so because they have been redeemed by Jesus on the cross. Brought back from loving this world to loving Jesus the creator instead. For you, Adam and Grace, what is going to keep you going post-baptism? What is going to maintain your faith and keep you firm? What is going to get you up in the morning and entice you through your day? What is going to revive you and make you wise and keep you rejoicing and enlightening your eyes and keeping you clean and holding you righteous before God? It isn't going to be creation. And you're going to be enticed by that at points in your life. It will be his spoken word written for you in the Bible, that brings you always to the feet of the man that you publicly proclaim this very evening, Jesus Christ. For the rest of us here tonight, what is our response? David, in the light of this creator God that spoke into being this kind of creation, in the light of his authority and his words and his purity and righteousness that is portrayed in his spoken word, David sees himself in a different light. As someone who is not all those things, but someone who is desperately sinful and desperately needs help if he is going to have any chance of getting to physically know this God. In this sense, David is unsettled by what he finds in God, and so should we be. We are not just dealing with anyone here tonight. We are dealing with a God of creation who made himself known and who offers this kind of life. It is a big deal. Just as we were looking at in John 3.16 a couple of weeks back, in the light of the creator, we see ourselves as who we really are. For those of us who are Christians here today, are we utterly enamored by Jesus and the word of God? Are we so enamored by Jesus and the word of God that we are willing to live lives of obedience against the run of the world? Where Jesus and his words are more precious to us than anything else in all of creation. And does that drive us to our knees in confession and humble obedience? Because it should. Because it is that which brings us to a life of stability and wisdom and joy 
and eternal life. For those of you who are not Christians here today, can you see why the words of God that the Bible is so important? If creation speaks of God's and if his words point to him, and if Jesus is God in human form who died for you, and all those things are true tonight, then would you not want to know this God who offers so much? and who achieved it through the giving of his son, Jesus Christ, your Redeemer. Throughout the whole of the psalm, David has been thinking his way through creation. He has been thinking his way through the Bible. And as he does so, having seen himself in the light of this incredible God, so he bursts out in prayer with this stunning prayer. Oh, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In other words, Lord, Yahweh, creator God, covenant-keeping, relationship God, I want to be true to the message that the Son is singing every day. I want my heart to be meditating on the same things the law meditates on, with you at the center, So therefore would my own words and the thoughts of my heart be in tune with creation and in tune with your glorious word and in tune with the final word of God, the fullest representation of him, my redeemer, Jesus Christ. And keep me from that twisting of the world that exalts the creature rather than the creator. May we be addicted to the words that God speaks to the Redeemer that he sends, to the obedience that he asks for, and to the life that he offers. Let's pray together as we close. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you and praise you so much for this glorious, glorious psalm. Father God, it does make our souls sing with thankfulness that you are a God who has made yourself known. Heavenly Father, thank you for the beauty of your creation that we can enjoy it. That points to you. Father God, thank you for your spoken words that tell us truly of who you are. And thank you so much, Heavenly Father God, for sending your son Jesus Christ to show us what you are really like, what you really look like, and how we can come to know you. Heavenly Father, I pray very much that we would not be enticed by creation for creation's sake, but that we would know that it points wonderfully to our Redeemer. We pray all these things with great thanksgiving in your strong name. Amen.